Kinder. Good morning, church. Um, I need a little bit of time to get myself ready. Um, And so um, you may have noticed that we're actually a little bit light in numbers today. And the reason for that is that um, all of our young people and many of our awesome adults are down in Twizel on youth camp. And so while I get myself ready, um, I thought it would be really, really awesome if, if everyone spent just a couple of minutes praying for Seb, for the team of adults, and for all of the young people that, um, that they will not just have fun, but that God would, would reach them and minister to them, and it will be a great time um, in their relationship with God as well. So if you just want to get together, pray for youth camp, give me a couple of minutes, and we'll be back in a jiff. So Lord, we just thank you for, for all that you are, for all that you've done. And, and as your body, we just bring forward each and every single one of the young people who are in Twizel right now. We ask that you will speak tenderly but profoundly in each of their lives, that it won't just be a time where they enjoy biscuiting and skiing and hanging out together, but it will also be um, filled with defining moments with regards to their personal relationships with you because that's just so what we want to see. We want to see our young people loving you. So we ask for blessing over them today as they finish their camp. We ask for blessing over Seb, and we ask for blessing over all of our wonderful adults who are all participating and making it happen. And in your victorious name, we say as a body, amen. So it is the season of gift giving, isn't it? And uh, I think it's funny uh, how excited we can all get about presents. Um. We see them under the tree, and we evaluate their size, their shape, um, their squishiness, if they're hard, if they're soft, who's given it to us, who's wrapped it, um, whether we maybe think it possibly could be maybe that thing that we desperately, desperately want, or whether we believe it's probably actually the socks that we actually desperately, desperately need. Um, And growing up, My mum and dad would uh, wrap um, the presents for my siblings and I incrementally whenever they had the time in the lead up to Christmas. And so often this was late at night when all of us were in bed. So we'd go to bed late at night, mum and dad would sit up, they'd go and get all the presents from all the places that they'd stashed them and, uh, and wrap them. And so we would wake up in the morning and go down to the tree and there might be new presents Um, with our names on them, and it was always really, really exciting when there was a new present with my name on it, Uh, knowing that mum would faithfully have gone out and thought about what to get me, um, and that that present was there for me to open on Christmas Day and unwrap and enjoy. Um, It had my name on it, to Anna, Merry Christmas, love from mum and dad. Uh, And my mum would also... Uh, go to elaborate lengths to make sure that we couldn't guess what was in the box. Uh, So she would, and she still does, she still does, she would wrap our presents in towels or in copious amounts of bubble wrap or she'd put boxes inside of boxes inside of boxes to create the deception that it was bigger than it actually was. Uh, All with the intent of making sure 
that on Christmas Day, we didn't know what we were getting until we unwrapped it. And there was a real surprise element to it. And so in this season of giving, and as we all um, have the anticipation that just in a few short days, we're going to get to open our presents from our loved ones for real, I also have two gifts here for us to unwrap and to explore together this morning. Now, you may be thinking, what on earth could Anna Button get me? The fair question. What on earth is underneath these boxes? Have I covered these in towels? Um, is it a box inside of a box inside of a box? Is it a gift for you? Is it a gift for the person beside you? Or is it a gift that everyone here is going to be able to enjoy? Have I filled these boxes with lots and lots and lots of crunchies that I'm going to scatter out at the end as a Christmas present? Or, or have I um, been a bit sneaky? I am a bit cheeky by nature. And essentially, these two boxes are just an elaborate ploy to get you to listen to me. <laughs> Shall we launch in and find out? Right. So, to give the context for present number one, the big red one, and the Garden Lounge service have these exact replicas in their service as well. To give the context for gift number one that we'll be unpacking today, uh, if you have your Bibles, let's head to the very beginning and go um, to Genesis 1, 26. Now, uh, the context for this, for this scripture is that we are in the middle of God's creation artistry. And he's essentially spent the first five days of creation making spaces and then filling those spaces. So on day one of um, the creation story, uh, we know that he created day and night. And then on the corresponding day um, in which he filled the space on day four, he filled the night with stars. On day two, we know that he made uh, the waters. On day five, he made the fish, which filled the waters. On day three, um, he made the land flourishing with good stuff. And on day six, where our passage picks up, he's about to fill the land with us. So Genesis 1.26, it says, The Lord God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let him have dominion over the fish of the seas, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Interesting, that one, isn't it? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And uh, mum and I have recently finished watching... Uh, Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds, which is this new documentary series that's come out on Netflix. And for those of you who haven't uh, watched it yet, I really encourage everybody to. Uh, but for those of you who haven't had the chance to watch it yet, essentially, um, it's a documentary series about a social experiment. And they get a group of pensioners who are living in, aged care, in an aged care facility uh, together. And this group of pensioners spend time with four-year-olds. And the purpose of the experiment is to see whether hanging out with young people increases the quality of life for the pensioners. And uh, there are many things about the series that are quite profound. 
and quite thought-provoking. Uh, but one of the things that really stuck out to me um, was the lack of hope and the lack of purpose that some of these pensioners had. Uh, so they had uh, introductory videos and introductory questions, and they asked the pensioners um, about their life. And so many of them touched on the fact that they didn't have anything to get up for in the morning, uh, that they weren't looking forward to anything, uh, that there was no joy in their life, their depression levels were, were really, really high. And some of them were even blatant enough to say, I'm essentially just waiting to die, just waiting. Um, levels of depression were high, nothing to look forward to. And I'm watching this, and uh, I just think, I'm like, oh, gosh, you just need to meet Jesus. You just need to meet Jesus. Because this passage in Genesis, right at the beginning of our history, it outlines all of our purpose. What we were created for. We were made by him in his image and perfect. And we are his, called to partner with him in ruling and enjoying relationship with him. And he loves us deeply. Uh, but then we also read, if we skip into Genesis 2, uh, we also read that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you do eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, just like um, all, all scripture okay, is, is hotly debated and um, you know, people, theologians, will debate different points. And in, in this particular context, um, you know, people debate uh, you know, why was the tree there in the first place? Where was it in, 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 the, uh, in the garden? Uh, what did God mean when he said, you will surely die? Did he mean we would physically die? Or did he mean eternal death and separation from him? Now, my personal opinion, my personal opinion is this. That that tree was placed there as a test to see whether we would choose God and partnership with him. So when he made us perfect and in his image, he gave us free will as well. He wanted us to choose him. And those of you who have little people in your life that you love, the best kind of cuddles are the ones where they see you and they run towards you from choice, right? I remember um, when Tia got out of the car one day and she saw me and she throws her arms up in the air and runs towards me. That's the best kind of cuddle. When you're seen and you're chosen and you're wanted, not the kind where you want the cuddle and so you kind of have to pry them away from the person that they want to actually be with, but you know, you want some love and so you're just kind of taking them trying them. Um, and God wants us to choose him. He wants the same. He wants us to run, to see, and to choose him. 
And, uh, and essentially, this tree was put in the garden as a test to determine the choice, to put that choice before us. And he made it very clear that as soon as we took of the fruit, we made our choice. And that our disobedience would mean that we were no longer perfect and thus able to be in, in his presence. And as some of you will know, this was the choice that was made. What on earth has that got to do with my red present, Anna? Well, it, it does. Journey with me. Journey with me. In Genesis 3, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, who by this point had been created, Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So she full on understood our lady. And then the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that the tree looked desirable um, to make one wise, she took its fruits and ate. And she also gave her husband with her, and he ate. And as they nibbled and munched, something happened, folks. Darkness descended and took over. Now, don't panic. Okay? We have not had a power cut. And for those of you in the garden lounge service, you have not lost connection. As you can tell, you can still hear my nasal twang coming through the sound waves. But rather, um, I've asked for the lights to be turned off to represent the fact that while we once dwelt with God in light and perfection, as intended, as we were created, this choice, this fruit munching, munching it welcomed darkness. Death, and as promised, we became separated from God. Now, the next verse describes how Adam and Eve hid, uh, but they can hear the sound of God in the garden, and God seeks them out and sees what the, and, uh, sees what the choice they've made is. And Scripture says, um, the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you've done? What is it that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And here it is, folks, if you remember nothing else about today. God also said to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this, folks, here in the garden, as darkness descended and separation occurred, is God saying, I've got a plan. I've got a plan to rescue and restore you 
despite the fact that you have made the choice that you have? Huh? Anna? I hear you all asking in the darkness. How does God saying that the serpent's head will be bruised and that he will bruise the heel of someone equate to any kind of rescue plan and light being restored? Because in approximately 4,000 years' time, we now know that Jesus would incur incredible pain by being crucified, having his heel bruised, and ultimately dying. However, when he rose again, he bruised the devil's head and claimed victory over the serpent. He took on the death that was ours to have, and in doing so, restored our ability to choose him and his light. So here in the garden, right after the fruit was taken and darkness descended, is God saying, I've got a plan. I love you enough to defeat this serpent, conquer this darkness, and once again offer you the choice, the choice to be with me. I've got a plan for someone to come who out of love for you and a desire to return you to your created purpose will incur pain, i.e. have their heel bruised, to achieve victory, i.e. bruise the serpent's head, and offer you all life over this darkness and this death. I've got a plan to defeat him and rescue you from darkness. And in the thousands of years, Following the fruit eating and the entrance of darkness, God revealed details of what Jesus, this promised person, would look like before he arrived. We know that the Old Testament essentially is one unified story which leads to the arrival of this promised person, a savior, as we know him, who will restore us to our original pre-fruit eating condition and ultimate purpose. So in Isaiah 7, for example, we hear it prophesied that this person will be conceived and born of a virgin. In Micah, we hear it prophesied that he will be born in Bethlehem. In Hosea, we hear that he will spend time in Egypt. In Isaiah 9, we hear that he will be from the lineage of King David and will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. That those who are in the land of the shadow of death, like us right now with our lights turned off, will have a light shone on them. We know that he will be from the tribe of Judah. And they waited, looking in all kinds of pieces, places, looking at all kinds of places, the people of the earth in this time period. They waited, and they came up with all kinds of grand schemes uh, while they did so, falling into deeper darkness as a result. But then, but then, God actions his plan. He actions it. Um, And as I read the following scripture, keep an ear out for those prophecies being fulfilled by our rescuer, those signs that God's plan was finally beginning to be implemented. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, tick, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, Tick. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. 
But when she saw him, she was troubled, understandably, at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall call, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. Tick. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. And then in a few chapters, folks, it happens. It came to pass that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this census took place while Creus was governing Syria. So all went to be registered and everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which called Bethlehem, Dick because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was room for her, no room for them in the inn. And at this point, as Isaiah prophesied, a light arrived into this world. Our Savior had arrived to defeat the darkness. Hopefully, the light will come on. <laughs> uh, if you're in the garden lounge, do the same. Uh, you can unwrap your, your first red box. Um, but... Oh no, yeah. See, everyone else had to wait 4,000 years. You just have to wait for my very faithful best friend's husband to fix this. <laughs> oh. As a complete side note, it's just so handy when your best friend's married. Handy men, it's just so good. Just so good, such a good man. Uh, but awkward moment, forgotten. When Christ was born, the light arrived. Okay, our first ultimate and undeserved gift was here. It was here. And John 8, 12 describes how when this baby was grown, he would say, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And when this baby died, he suffered pain and a bruised heel, but through his crucifixion on the cross, he became victorious and the light for us. So the arrival of this baby was necessary for his death. And Christmas is the celebration of God's rescue plan being actioned. Easter 
is the celebration that it's finished and that it's successful. And that through this baby, we are offered that choice again. The darkness is defeated and we have the light of life for the wages of our sin were death and darkness. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we know that on Easter, the light conquered the darkness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but essentially our Christmas, heaven hits earth. The plan starts and the light comes. He comes. He arrives. There will never be a gift as great as this one, no matter what's under your tree. This gift is one that um, gave it all and keeps on giving. Its batteries never die. It never expires. It cannot be updated or replaced. It is a gift that literally changed and keeps on changing our lives. And there will never, ever, ever be a gift as anticipated as this one. But despite that, it can at times be a gift that is taken for granted. See, here's the thing. Uh, the devil, now defeated, ain't terribly happy about that. Quite liked us living in darkness. And he loves to try and to take back some ground by taking our eyes off this ultimate gift. It's a rival and it's meaning. He loves to distract us. He loves to rob us of the joy and the life that we have received and that is rightfully ours. He loves to help us forget the darkness that we have been saved from. He adores helping us forget that death was our destination. And he will try and rob us of the joy that this season is all about, uh, where we are called to celebrate heaven hitting earth and the start of the rescue plan and that light had arrived. He loves to help us forget that the official rescue plan was beginning. And that is worthy of our praise. He hates it when we celebrate and live according to this gift's arrival and death. So how does he rob us? Um, so some strategies are a bit more obvious and a bit more blatant. Uh, in this season, he might sow seeds of thought or memory or circumstance, uh, which may make us angry at God. But what I also find is also a red flag from the passages that we have read through today is how in Genesis 3, it literally starts by calling the serpent cunning or crafty or shrewd if you have other translations. And what um, I was listening to a podcast recently and they were talking about how very rarely in the Bible do we uh, have descriptions of people. Um, so, for example, 
Adam and Eve weren't described to us. We don't know much about what they looked like or their personality at all. But when a biblical author takes the time to describe a characteristic of someone in the Bible, it often will allude to their personality. For example, uh, you take uh, Esau and Jacob. They were both described uh, when they came out. Uh, And Jacob was smooth, right? He was smooth. Much like the way that he operated his life, some of the stuff he got up to. He was a bit of a smooth operator, was Jacob. Uh, And so when the biblical authors are taking the time to describe the serpent to us, it is important. We take notice. He's cunning. He's shrewd. He's crafty. And this description is a warning for us in all seasons of our life as to the high level of skill the devil deploys to lead us back into darkness and away from the gift of light. And we can be absolutely certain that he wants to take our focus away from this gift at all costs, especially in a season where society kind of in a roundabout way is telling us to remember it. So I suspect that some of the strategies currently being deployed to distract all of Christendom from the ultimate gift of the season include super busy schedules, increasing deadlines at work, incredibly long and overwhelming to-do lists, present shopping, grocery shopping for the masses, getting ready for holidays, all of the things that we need to do. And these things are important, and I am not saying that they are not. But I'm just suggesting that perhaps they are not as important as praising him for the rescue plan being made and actioned at Christmas time. So I guess where I'm going with this is to ask you all this question. In this Christmas season, have you had a chance to really stop all that you're doing and just for a while remember the darkness that you were in and focus on how this gift changed your life and future? Have you stopped to focus on the light and praise him who has planned and incurred pain to give it to you? And if I'm honest with myself, I have not. This year, words cannot sum up what it has been like for me. (laughs) I cannot wait for a holiday. And I am hanging out to finish work and to get all of my to-do lists done so that when I'm on holiday, I can unwind. Uh, And I would put myself in the camp of being someone whose eyes need to spend some time looking at this, gazing at the light. And I reckon there might be some of you who are like me in that. And this leads me to reveal the second gift. And if you're in the garden lounge service, uh, please feel free to take this off. Oh, it's falling down. Gosh, okay. Aha, it's a clock, folks. It's a clock, which is there to represent time. 
time. And so my goal with the second gift is right now to provide you some time. To focus on the arrival of Jesus in that stable 2,000 years ago. And how it changed your life. Some time before you leave church today and resume doing all of the to-do lists. Some time to focus on the fact that the wages for your sin were death. But there was a rescue plan, and this baby marks the start of its implementation. So let's, as a body of believers, take some time now and make the devil squirm just a little bit, just a little bit. But actually also spend some time praising the one who gave us the best gift ever. The best gift ever. Let's take five minutes to pour out our adoration and gaze at him. So here is the band. Here is the band. Here is the plan as the band comes up. Man, I'm smooth. If you would like, essentially, I just, my heart, my heart is really to create a space, to create a space where you can have five minutes. You can have five minutes before you leave to actually spend some time reflecting on this. Spend some time praising God. Um, and I encourage you, if, if you are like me and you haven't had the time to do that this season, that um, to symbolically uh, represent the fact that you want to just kind of park, you want to park the to-do lists and everything you've got going on and just step temporarily, step temporarily into a space where you just want to praise and adore him to move, you can move one seat over, you can move one seat across, but to physically move, to emphasize the symbolic gesture of I'm moving into a space where I'm going to praise you. If you're the kind of person who connects best with God when you worship, then I encourage you to, if you want to come down the front and do that, to do that. If you want to come into the aisles, if you want to stay where you are, but you just spend some time pouring it out, pouring it out. If you're the kind of person who is a drawer or a Bible reader um, or, you know, you like to write stuff down, uh, there's some pens and some pencils at the back of the auditorium and also in the garden lounge service. I encourage you, if that's how you connect with God best, you go and you get a pen and paper. You write out some praise. Um, or if you are just the kind of person who just wants to sit and soak and pray, you do that. But I invite you now. Uh, to join me and just taking five minutes taking five minutes this season to focus on that and how awesome it is um, you may notice I've got a new niece on the way um, and, uh, and Bex is visiting us and so um, she hasn't been able to sing for months because life has been um, doing video calls and so I was like it's a shame to have someone who's Gifted as her not singing. So she's going to come and sing some songs. Uh, and if you're in the phase where you just want to worship, I invite you to participate in that. Um, but do what you need to do to focus on that, folks. Join me in it today.